Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. I think we ought to congratulate our pastor this past week. He received his master's in theology, and so we just want to congratulate them. That was a lot of hard work, and pastor, we're proud of you. Well, thank you very much. It was good to go back to the seminary, good to reacquaint with some old friends, uh, good to get this degree. I'm so grateful for you supporting me, praying for me through this whole endeavor. It was quite an adventure, and just while we're on this topic, pray for me. I'll be continuing my education. What's next? Well, I'll be attending Southern Seminary in July, working on my Doctor of Ministry. So please pray for me as we engage in that endeavor together. Pray for my wife as well while we're mentioning this. We're on this topic. She's not here this morning. Uh, we had quite an eventful trip while we were in North Carolina. Got almost ran off the road by a tractor trailer on the way up. And then on the way back, her knee decided to lock up. So we think that she may have torn her meniscus, which is that muscle, I think, that connects the kneecap. So she's not here this morning. She's not able to walk. She's walking like this. She can't even bend her leg. So please pray for my wife. After the service today... I'll be taking her to an orthopedic urgent care, so please pray for her. But I am blessed to be your pastor, blessed that you supported me through uh, seminary. This is my second seminary degree, and we were all a part of that together. And of course, uh, someone said this morning, and you're getting proof of it, my second master's means that the sermon's going to be at least 20 more minutes long. So, and let's go ahead and get started. If you have your Bible here today, and I hope that you do, would you mind turning to the book of 2 Samuel and go to the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 7. So go to the table of contents if you're not familiar where that is. If you have an iPhone or a tablet, you could easily find 2 Samuel chapter 7. And just as you're turning over there, I want you to answer this for me or engage your mind in this way. If I were to come up to you and I were to ask you, what would be the most amazing thing that could ever happen to you what do you think you'd say? What is that one thing that if I were to come up to you and say, what would make all of your dreams come true? What would it be? And if we're honest this morning, if all of us were honest, we would all have to say that our answer to that question has probably changed over the course of years. I am reminded just how far I've come when I listen to my own children. And I ask them a question of what their greatest dreams, or what do they want to be when they grow up, their greatest anticipation, and especially this time of year, we're talking about Christmas, what do you want for Christmas? Well, if I were to come up to you and I were to ask you, what do you want for Christmas? Probably the answer would be different than what it was 25 years ago. I can just imagine that that's true. And my home is really, this time of year, when I ask my kids what it is they want, by their answer, I can already make a distinction and say that they really have no idea what life's all about. They have no idea what it is they really want. And here's why. My house right now with three children under the age of, of six years old, my oldest one's five, then I got a two-year-old, then a, a two-month-old, my house right now is a house full of discovery. Everything in my house is an experiment. And so we are constantly saying, don't do this, or do that. And just the other day, as a matter of fact, when we were heading back from North Carolina, my little girl discovered for the first time 
that the S on the shaker means that that's the one designated for salt. She looked at this salt shaker and she asked my wife what it was. She thought she knew what it was. And she said, that's a salt shaker. And she said, how did you know that, Mama? And then she said, because it's got a big S on it. And then my little girl, you wouldn't believe the flabbergasted look on her face. She said, is that what that's for? And so all of that just to tell us that she has no capacity for knowing what it is that she wants because she's at the age of discovery. Now, you and I know that she should grow out of this stage. My son, he's going to grow out of the stage, hopefully, of taking everything in his hand and throwing it across the room. Hopefully, they'll grow out of those stages. But for now, everything is discovery. And I'm convinced that the majority of our world is really filled with those who really don't know what they want. Maybe you're here this morning and you may think that you know what you want. Maybe you've gathered your entire life around pursuing a certain thing. Maybe you're just at the beginning of this where you're thinking about what you want to be when you grow up. Or maybe you're thinking about what uh, degree you're going to get. Maybe you're going to get out of high school. What degree you're going to get in college. Or you may be at the age now where you can look back and you've, you've got this whole life of things that hopefully determine what it is that you want. Maybe some of you have made it there. But I'm convinced that most of our world is filled with people who really don't know what it is they want. They, they know that they want something. And so they desperately try to fill their life with meaning and purpose. C.S. Lewis, I believe he was right when he said this, if we find in ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. The world is desperately trying to fill themselves with things that won't satisfy. Well, I'm a gospel preacher. You can just imagine what my message is this morning. Only Jesus can satisfy. And so I want us to look at 2 Samuel here in chapter 7. To look at a guy who some would say that he had just about everything. He was a, a king of Israel, one of the most successful kings of, of the entire history of Israel, King David. And in our passage today, David is going to come to the Lord with a certain desire. The desire that he has is really a noble desire, but the Lord is going to do something for David that, as we're going to read, is greater than anything David could even imagine. Now, what I want to do today, I want to read the entire text. and Hopefully you got your Bible open in front of you. I normally don't do this, but because it's an entire lengthy passage, I want you to follow along real closely. And so if you've got your Bible open, great, but I want you who maybe don't have a Bible to make sure that you're with us as well. So we're going to put the, I'm gonna, I know this is, this is crazy. I'm going to put the entire text that I'm reading on the back screen. Wow, I know I never do that because I want to encourage you to bring your Bible. So anyway, now that I've tricked everyone into opening their Bibles, let's go ahead and read the Bible from 2 Samuel chapter 7. Hear the word of the Lord today. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? 
I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the peoples of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I command to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture and from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you and wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed by no one. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From that time that I appoint judges over the people of Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. And there is no God beside you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. 
you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you. Give us understanding as we come to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you hear it this morning as we read that lengthy passage? Did you hear it? David wanted to build the Lord a house, but God said that he would build David a house. Now, one of those houses would ruin and decay over time, but the other house would last forever. And so the question is, which house would you rather have? Would you rather have the one that you could build for the Lord, or would you rather have the one that the Lord could build for you? And so from this passage, I want us to learn this simple truth this morning, that God has a plan, and His plan is the greatest plan. It's so great that it is greater than anything that you and I could even dare think. And so from this story, in this brief snippet, in this life of David, I want to give you just two reasons this morning to believe that God's plan is the greatest. Number one, if you're taking notes, number one. The reason that God's plan is the greatest plan is because God is faithful even when we are faithless. Now, here we have this story in the life of David, and I'm assuming that at least some of you this morning are church folks, so you've probably heard of David. And so the, probably the first thing that you would think of when you think of David is that he was a man after God's own heart. That's right. Not Bathsheba, but that you would think that David was a man after God's own heart. Now, what happened with Bathsheba is a part of David's story, but what marks David's story is his God-sized ambition. David was a man who was the first one, I believe, to expect great things from God and attempt great things for him. Remember who Goliath was? He expected great things from God, and he attempted great things for him. And even when David is at his worst, when that wonderful passage comes with Bathsheba, even when he's at his worst, his heart eventually shines through. And if you don't believe me, just go and read what happens after his sins find him out. Go read Psalm 51. But if there's anything that we know about David, and here we have this wonderful passage of David, if there's anything that we know about David, it's that we shouldn't make David the hero of our story. Now when we tell our children about David, we don't tell them, go be just like David. We don't do that, right? If we tell them to go be just like David, we say, well, except the time when kings should go to war. If it ever comes time for you to go to war, make sure that you're going to war. And by the way, if you don't go to war, whatever you do, don't take a stroll on a balcony. And if you see a lady bathing, just turn the other way. Don't even get involved in anything like that. So we don't tell them to make David the pattern of your life. So he is obviously not the hero. But here's the thing. God has a purpose for David. And God's purpose for David is more than David could ever do for himself. God's purpose for David is greater than anything that he could ever imagine. And now here's the truth for you this morning and for me. God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for me. And guess what? The plan and the purpose that God has for us is greater than anything that we could ever do. And it's greater than anything, believe it or not, that we could ever imagine. Now let's think for just a minute. Let's make sure that we understand where we are in the Bible. And this is why I encourage you to open your Bible and have it in front of you. Because let's think just for a moment. 2 Samuel, this passage that we just read, is one of the most significant passages in the entire Bible. And the reason is, is because 2 Samuel 7 gives us a summary 
of what the entire Bible is about. Now, let's just be honest this morning. If you're new to the Bible, and you come to the Bible and you see this, you know you're talking about reading the Bible through a year, you know, some of you, it's hard enough to read the newspaper, right? Some of us, it's just difficult. So, reading the Bible in a year, reading the Bible, have you ever read the Bible? Those kind of questions. You can look at this book and you can be overwhelmed by this book to make sense of it all, to see how it all fits together. How, what does Jesus dying on a cross have to do with the temple? What does Jesus being born in a manger have to do with Jesus coming back one day? Or what does it have to do with priests and the Malachites and Tishbites and all the rest of the mosquito bites? What does all that have to do with? And so it's, it's difficult. And so 2 Samuel is here to give us an indication of what the entire story is about. And if we didn't have passages like 2 Samuel and so many others peppered through, we could come up with all kind of things that may be what the Bible is about. And many people try to do this. They try to say that the Bible is a book of just stories. Go be like David. Well, we don't want to be entirely like David. Or they say that the Bible is just a a, a rule book or a a moral code. Well, it's got to be something a little bit more than that. And so this is why 2 Samuel is here and other passages all throughout. Why is that? So that our God can tell us how the whole thing fits together. And so a passage like 2 Samuel 7 in the midst of all these other passages, it assures us that God has a plan and that God is working His plan. And here's the best part of the story. God's plan is greater than anything that you and I could ever imagine. And listen carefully. Nothing, nothing will stop it from happening. God has a plan. And no power of hell, no scheme of the brightest, intelligent group of men will ever stop God's plan from happening. I want to prove it to you. You hold your Bible open in 2 Samuel 7. Flip over just a few chapters to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now for me, it's just one page over in my Bible. Now we're not going to read 2 Samuel chapter 11, and I usually don't want you to look at something that's uninspired in your Bible, but there's probably something in your Bible that was added by some editors, and that's that wonderful heading at the top of that chapter. By the way, if you're ever reading the Bible publicly, and you come to those chapter headings, you don't have to read those because they weren't there originally, alright? So the editors of your Bible, whether it's NIV, NASB, King James, New King James, English Standard Version, Holman Christian Standard, Hardcore Southern Baptist, whatever you have out there today, what you have in your hand, that italics or bold above the chapter heading was added. So what does it say in chapter 11? Chapter 11 is that wonderful event that everybody remembers about David. David and Bathsheba. Now what comes first? 7 or 11? You just tell me. What comes first? 7 or 11? That's right. We're all good this morning. 7 comes before 11. So just think with me for just a minute. Did God make a covenant with David before Bathsheba? Or after Bathsheba? 7 is before 11, right? He did it before. Now, who is it that made a covenant with David? It's God. And what do we know about God? Well, God is all-knowing. So here's the truth that I want you to get this morning. God knew what would happen with David. But He still chose 
to make a covenant with Him. You say, why in the world is this? And this is the best answer that I can do this morning. The only answer that will fit is amazing grace. Where sin is great, grace is greater. Where sin is great, grace is greater. So listen, David's not the hero here. Salvation doesn't depend upon David. Listen carefully. Salvation doesn't depend upon you. Salvation depends upon a free gift that God gives us. So David's not the hero. David, listen, he is a hero, but he is not the hero. The hero is mentioned for us in 2 Samuel chapter 11. The hero for us is a son of David. Now here's a question. Who would most people say the most famous son of David is? Probably the first one that comes to your mind is Solomon. But does Solomon fit the bill? Look, look at the text here. Let's look again. Look down at verse 17 in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Look at what this word here. It says that uh, in verse 16, it says that our God will establish the throne forever. Solomon surely can't fit the bill. And if you were to go and you were to look closely, and if we were to do this this morning, just to see how the whole Bible fits together, if we were to read the book of Kings, which comes after Samuel, and then if we were to go and read the book of Chronicles, and then if we were to go and we were to read the, the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and all the rest, we would see this longing. We would see all these people hoping for a son. Who's going to be the one to fulfill the covenant of David? Is it going to be Solomon? Well, he can't do it because, well, he had a thousand wives, something like that, and then he had 700 wives, and then he, he, you know, he, he messed up, and, and then, well, it can't be Solomon, so maybe it's a good king like old King Josiah. Well, all of these guys have some kind of moral flaw about them, even the greatest king, King David. So it can't be Anyone that's mentioned. And so all during, the, as we're reading the Bible, as we're reading the book of Chronicles and Kings, and maybe you read the Bible like me, if you've read it a few times, you can read those passages and you think, man, I sure do wish that the outcome's going to be just a little different. Here, we've had a bad king, and then we have a good king. Maybe, just finally, do you ever read the Bible like that? Maybe they'll finally get their act together. Maybe finally someone will come through. But it never happens, does it? And even if we were to go and, and read uh, the prophets, we would see the prophets are full of this anticipation, full of this Word from God to come true. And if we were to go and read Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and uh, some of the rest of the prophets, we would see that there is David. He pops up all over the place. But the thing about it is, is by the time Isaiah writes, David's dust. He's buried in the ground and nothing but dust. So there is this longing, there is this anticipation for God to do this great thing. There is so much wickedness in the story of all these kings, but all during their wickedness, there is an undercurrent of grace that guides this plan and this purpose of God to make sure that God's will will come about. It guides the purpose of God safe to shore. I want to take you to one passage in Isaiah that captures this scenario so well for us. and It's going to be on the screen, so you don't have to turn there. I'm going to turn there just because I want to make some notes about it. But Isaiah chapter 10. Listen to what it says here. It says here, this wonderful passage. The Lord of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down. The lofty will be brought low. 
He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. So here's this picture that we have of God bringing judgment even upon His people. But then listen to this next phrase. And the reason that judgment came was because of their wickedness. But listen to this. Listen to this next phrase in chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now who is Jesse? The father of David. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The passage goes on to say that the lion will lie down with the lamb, the bear will rest beside the gazelle. In other words, peace on earth will come. So there's all this wickedness that we see in the Bible, but undergirding all of this wickedness, the best plan of man fails. David, who's a man after God's own heart, goes and commits adultery with a woman and then murders her husband. The best thing that man can do can accomplish the will of God. And so, we can't save ourselves. But still, there's this hope that God is going to do something good. There's this hope that God is going to come and bring things right. And so even after the Lord has to bring judgment upon the earth, even after He has to bring judgment upon His own people, the hope is inextinguishable. And even as this passage in Isaiah says, even from a smoldering forest, a shoot will begin to bud from the root of an old forgotten tree. From a prophecy that is long left un. So by the time the promise of God comes, all that's left of the tree of Jesse is nothing more than a stump. Easily to be forgotten. That thing in your yard that you trip over that used to be a tree, that's just a stump there. But a stump is all that God needs. And from that sprout, from that stump, is the way that God is going to satisfy the longing of the entire And listen carefully this morning. It's how God does that. That's the wonder of the Bible. So who is the son of David? Who is this promised one to come? Guess what? It's not Solomon. Matthew, we've been studying Matthew as a church. Matthew opens in the first verse and says who the son of David is. And you know who it is? It's Jesus. Jesus is the son of David. And if you go and read Matthew closely, Matthew then keeps on going to tell us that a few men from the east, they come, they follow a star. And why are they there? It tells us why they're there. They are seeking one who is born king of the Jews. And who is this baby that they're seeking? And here's the beauty of the story. It's God Himself. The beautiful part of the story that we can't rescue ourselves and so God comes on a rescue mission to save us and He doesn't just send some secondary angel. He doesn't send some emissary. He Himself comes to us. Takes on flesh. Dwells among us. Here's the bottom line. Write this down. This truth is the amazing truth of the Gospel. You have to get this. Why is it that God would go through such great lengths to bring us to Him. Listen, God has intertwined our story 
with His own story. Why is His plan the greatest? Number two this morning. He is faithful because He cannot deny Himself. Why is He so faithful to the earth? Because He can't deny Himself. Listen carefully. Don't get the crazy idea that God is just simply rolling through history. Whatever happens in history, that's when God decides to do something. He's just ebbing and flowing through history. And whatever happens in our life influences Him and all that. Don't just get that simple idea that God doesn't know what's going to happen. He's just changing things as they go. Now listen, God responds to us. But nothing takes God by surprise. It's not as if He says to David, I'm going to make a covenant with you and then change my mind after you commit adultery with a woman and murder her husband. God knew David was going to do this and the amazing grace of it all is that David's actions didn't cancel the purpose of God. Now don't misunderstand me. Read the Bible. His actions brought consequences. Grave consequences. But the purpose of God remained. You see, God knew that if He created the world with the way that He did by giving us the power of choice, by giving us the power to choose to the contrary, it would mean that if He so created the world in this way, it would mean that He was going to have to send His Son to die. And are you listening to me this morning? Listen. He knew that. He could have made a world any way that He wanted, but He made this one. He knew that if He created this way, it would mean that His Son was going to die. And listen carefully to me. He still chose to create you and me. Knowing that it was going to mean that the Son would come and die. This is what is so amazing about grace. Our actions, listen carefully, our actions have consequences, but the consequences of our actions are never outside the purpose of God. He has chosen to make Himself known, and the way that He's done that is through creating us to enjoy eternal fellowship with Him. Listen carefully, our story is about us having fellowship with God. Don't miss this. It's not about Him having fellowship with us as if He needs something. He needs nothing. Look at the Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 7. David says, I'm going to build you a house. And then God says, really? What are you going to do for me, buddy? You're going to build me a house? Here, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to build you a house. It's clear that there is nothing that David can do for God. Nothing that David can do for Him. And this is the same idea, I think, that's in Isaiah chapter 66. Listen to what it says. The end of Isaiah. Listen to this. Thus saith the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you're going to build for me? You see the irony there? Heaven's my throne. The earth is my footstool. You want to build me a house? And then he says this. What's the place of my rest? He said, everything my hands have made. So all of these things came to be, declares the Lord. And then listen to this next phrase. This is so good. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble 
and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Do you see this? God says, I don't need anything from you. You need everything from me. Everything from me. So look at what happens here. God gives us all things. And then the amazing part of it all is He receives something from us. What does He receive from us? He receives worship from us. We desire His favor. We have to live. There is no life outside of His favor. And then the most amazing part of the story is that it's not out of any necessity, but it's just a matter of His own delight. What pleases the heart of God? One thing. The people that He created worshiping You see, this is the great truth that we proclaim. Listen carefully. God has chosen freely to bring us into relationship with Himself. And the way that He has done it is the reason why we have Christmas. The way that He has done it is, listen, by joining Himself with our story. So what's the author do? The author, the God, He jumps into the story. And He joins His own life with our own life. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Son of David came and the Son of David was none other than God Himself. You see, His perfection is now our perfection. His eternity is now our eternity. He has joined Himself with our life. Our lives are joined together inseparably. And this is why death is no problem for the believer. The greatest enemy that all of us have is death. But for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, death is not a big deal for us. Now, no one wants to die, right? None of us want to die. Why is that? Because God created us to live. Listen, this is why it's no big deal. Because Jesus died. But death wasn't the end of His story. He was raised. And listen, those who believe in Him, even though they die, they will live. And this is why we say that we are in Christ. Those of us who believe in Him, those of us who have by faith trusted in His good news of salvation, this is why we say that we are in Christ. Because what does this mean? Here's what it means. It means that His life is our life. He has experienced everything that we experience, except the only difference is that He changed the outcome. He experienced temptation just like we did, except there's a different outcome. We fell into sin. He overcame temptation. We may have moments where we overcome temptation, but we eventually are going to fall into temptation. That's true with Jesus. He faced every temptation that we did, except there's a different outcome. He never sinned. And here's the other great truth. is Not only did He change the outcome of that, but He died. But death wasn't the end of the story for Jesus. After 
he died, what happened? He came back to life. So his life now is our life. He has experienced everything that we experienced. Except he has now changed the outcome so that now our lives are forever in him. So why is his story the greatest? Because he can't deny himself. Listen carefully this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have trusted in Him for, as your sole salvation. If God were to send you to hell, He'd have to send Himself there too. His story's the greatest. This is the greatest truth of the Gospel. He is faithful to us despite our unfaithfulness. And the reason that He's faithful is because He can't deny Himself. He has chosen to go where no man had ever gone before to redeem us. Every other man failed David, he was a failure. Noah was a failure. Adam was a failure. The greatest apostle, Peter, well, you know what happened. He lopped a guy's ear off. He was a failure. He denied Jesus. There's only one person this morning whom you can truly place your entire faith and trust in. And he's the one who was sent from the Father. Without ceasing to be what he was, the eternal Son of God, he became what he was not, man. The Word became flesh. Why did He do that? One reason. Not for Him. For you. For your sake. And for your salvation. I've thought through. And I can't think of anything greater than this. I can't think of any story greater than this. Can you? Unending love. Amazing grace. Eternal fellowship with God. And see, here's the beauty of the Gospel. All of this is ours. Not because we have earned it, but because He gives it to us. And we receive what He has given to us. And the only way that we can receive what He has given to us is by placing our faith in Him. Placing our faith in Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. With every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment, I just want you to simply be honest this morning. You know this morning if you are pursuing anything other than Jesus. And if you this morning are pursuing anything other than Jesus, would you just be honest this morning and admit that whatever you're pursuing, it may be the greatest thing. It may be something like leaving a good legacy of love and generosity for your family and friends. I'm not saying you're out smoking and drinking and all those terrible things. But if you're pursuing something good and you're not pursuing Jesus, would you just admit that it is less? That there is something better for you to pursue not just something better for you to pursue, but someone better for you to pursue. Then I'm going to ask you this. If you'll be willing to admit that what you're pursuing is less, then will you today begin to believe that what God has done for you and what God offers you is greater than anything you could ever imagine? Father, thank You so much for giving us such a great hope such a great love, such a great expectation of what truly is great. Father, I pray that everyone in this room can say together with me, 
that there is nothing, there is no one greater than Jesus. Father, we're reminded of your word and what it says. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Father, as you search every heart in this room today, I pray that you will find hearts in love with Jesus. And Father, if there's one here today that doesn't know you as Savior, would you today change their affections and show them what it means to live by them crying out to you and saying, Jesus, you are the greatest. What I've been pursuing is not great. I want to pursue you because I believe you. I trust you. I know that you love me. And Lord, I want you to help me love you. Father, let that be the prayer of every heart here. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.